lot. I thought you were about to say legitimately the opposite, Matt. I thought you were about to say ABAC is calling it out because clearly it means they've drunk all the rest already. And welcome to episode 428 of Brews Newsweek, recorded on Thursday, 20th of July, 2023. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by my good friends and industry colleagues, Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. Hello to you both. Nice to see you back. Hey, guys. Hello. Another week, another beer. How are you, how are you both this week? Anything uh, interesting happening? And Ian, you did a Belgian beer tasting on Wednesday uh, at Saccharomyces that I wasn't, a uh, Tuesday that I wasn't able to get along to. Yeah, I did. Uh, so this is uh, the unofficial Belgian Beer Week uh, here at many venues in Australia and Saccharomyces here in Brisbane uh, doing a um, a number of events across the week, uh, events every day. On Tuesday night, we did um, the annual St. Bernardus dinner uh, that I co-hosted um, where we drank different vintages of St. Bernardus Ab 12 and we uh, paired those up with different vintages of the same uh, goat's cheese. Um, we had live crosses to the brewery in Belgium and and chatting about that. And they've, they've got events every day, different blind tastings, big event on Saturday. Uh, I'm also doing tastings because uh, it's Belgian National Day on Saturday. I'm also doing tastings at uh, Craft Red Hill of um, Saison Dupont and Cantillon. So if you're in Brisbane and you want to come and talk to me about um, uh, uh, Saisons and um like the most revered Lambic brewery, um, I'll be there talking beer. It's um, Belgian Beer Week, but I, it occurred to me because I f- saw for the first time in probably a decade, um, Jay Brooks, who was a beer writer in the early noughts, um, who posted a sticker and it was, have you hugged a brewer today? Um, and... God, it must have been 15, 16, 17 years ago that he was calling for uh, an International Brewers' Day um, you know, to celebrate the people who make the beer because there's a lot about you know, IPA Day and Beer Day, but actually to celebrate the brewers. And that was an event that we um, ran with uh, for a couple of years in Australia, Ian, the, uh, uh, and it's on the birthday or the Saints' Day for St Arnold, the patron saint of brewers, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was nice to see that come up uh, this this week as well. And I sort of missed um, not celebrating the idea of great Belgian or all brewers really the way that we once did. Yeah, I remember that event. You had T-shirts made for it too. Have you hugged a brewer today? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's uh, yeah. I, I, I miss those days. I have to dig out some of those photos. But anyway, it feels like we need to bring that back. I was just going to say, following on from sort of not quite Belgium, but um, funk and wild yeast. It's Blobfish on this weekend, and I can say that of all the festivals that I really wish I was getting to, um, that is one of them. So there's going to be. We some might have to more. send you down as our special correspondent <laughs> next year. <laughs> right. Special correspondent. I've not been down for it either, but it's it, it certainly sounds. It's one of having and it, 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 we talked about it on the podcast last week about beer events um, and festivals, and the huge great American beer festivals are increasingly less and less relevant. But small festivals like Blobfish um, that are tightly curated, and you know limited in their um you know in 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 their ambitions if that's a fair way of putting it are certainly very relevant um and 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 very very important 
And just stylistically, I thought it was interesting that Ian said it's official Belgian Beer Day on Saturday and I was like, stylistically, it fits really nicely into the end of unofficial Belgian Beer Week. So um, kudos to everyone who's who's got all of that linkage there. So, Matt, you've got some, um, you've written some news this week. There seems to be lots, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it feels like there's lots in the ether. There's a lot of sort of moving pieces out at the moment. I think people are trying to find their way forward um, and we're starting to see some announcements um, of that because something that we haven't covered, um, <laughs> not surprisingly, I, I saw on our Crafty Pint that the the old um, Bucket Boys uh, bar um, that had been taken over by Batch that then became incorporated into the local beer collective um, when when we, we can't call it a merger because apparently they haven't merged. Um, but I, I, I saw that was now for sale and, you know, certainly we didn't get the media release about that. I, I'm starting to think that, you know, maybe asking hard questions has people avoiding <laughs> oh it just feels my sense is there's sort of all of these announcements then there's stuff that people don't want to be talking about because they haven't quite figured out as you say the way forward but here they have worked out and again it's so it's very selective who who gets told certain things on occasions um but but it just sort of feels yeah like there's a lot of sort of big um structural things happening i guess Anyway, on to the news. Um, Matt, the first of the articles was Beer Cartel Partners with First Choice. Beer Cartel Partners with First Choice. A selection of mixed beer packs created by retailer Beer Cartel, online retailer Beer Cartel, will be made available through Cole's First Choice Liquor Market. Uh, the company has released a media release earlier this week advising that under the partnership, the packs would be initially available to online customers in New South Wales before expanding into other states. Now, this is the sort of thing that I normally treat when we get a media release, it's much more of a commercial announcement because it's not a takeover, it is a product announcement that is basically in the form of an advertising. But I found this one, I, I recovered this as a story because I found it quite interesting that you're thinking, you know, Beer Cartel has has beer, car, has beer packs. And when, you, when I went looking on its, on the website, you've got beer packs that, to my way of thinking, don't have. There's no magic in creating them. It's a branded box with a dozen beers in, retailing for ninety dollars with some tasting notes. And it seemed really interesting to me that it was described as a partnership as opposed to what most breweries are able to get their products ranged. You know, if you're a brewery, you can just range on the um, Coles Liquor Marketplace, and if they don't want to stock you in their stores, you can still buy through them. It's almost like an Amazon shopfront. Um, where you, they take the order and you just fulfil it, and so I, I was interested to find out a little bit more about it. And uh, you know, speaking to Richard Kelsey, he said um, that yeah, um, essentially Coles were good at selling, but not good at coming up with the ideas for these sorts of things, um, which I found quite interesting. He's hoping that while starting in New South Wales these packs will expand and eventually be merchandised in stores through some of the um, brick and mortar uh, stores, uh, which, which would be huge for Beer Cartel if, if that, it really expands their reach without having um, the, the costs of leases and stuff like that. They just have to create product that they can then sell. 
But then my next question was, it sounds like it's a very low entry to market for Coles to see what works, learn what works, get the data from sales and then create them themselves. So Coles, you know, for folks who may not have sort of uh, been watching the dominoes fall on Coles, um, they were the primary sponsors of the Gab's Hottest 100 last year and invested quite a bit of um, effort in behind Gab's mix packs, advertising that went in all of their stores. They have just announced a major deal with the Independent Brewers Association essentially agreeing to give all independent, as I understand it, Independent Brewers Association members the opportunity to be ranged in their local uh, first choice. So Coles are making this big play in the craft beer space at the same time as developing home brand beers. They're co-investors in, is it Traveller? Um, they're part, are they part owners or primary distributors? Tinnies. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think they're the primary distributor around Traveller. Um, yes, yes. And, and so, so just sort of that's over the last, you know, not even 12 months, we've seen this really big push from Coles as we're watching all of those big things happen. And so when I saw this, I thought, well, it's one online retailer giving another online retailer their product, which that retailer already has. And so, you know, my question was, well, what do the boxed mix six packs even look like? Because why would Coles want to advertise, hey, you can buy your beer elsewhere? Like, is it going to be branded beer cartel? And then somebody goes, oh, yeah. I like well, beer it, cartel. It, you can see the packs online. And again, I didn't want to link to the Coles liquor market website it because so odd, though, it's doesn't not an it? ad. Because you can buy, so you're essentially saying to your customer, First Choice Liquor is saying to your to their customer, you can buy your beer here in our stores or at our competitors. And here's advertising. Except they're selling, they're, they're selling it. Um, my understanding is that they're buying them from Beer Cartel, but it's just a gift box, which again, Ian, what, what do you think? I mean, you understand the idea of as a brewer having your beers because at, at one stage, Amazon, um, was it Amazon or there, there are shop fronts that you can just list your beers on and you fulfill it. They just become the portal through which... Drop shipping. Yeah, this is an interesting one um, because it is two completely opposing businesses that are each able to fulfill this in their own way through their own resources. So collaboration-wise, um, it's hard to see that there is something that either one is really gaining in some ways, but in some ways they, they are maybe um, first choice are able to leverage off um, Beer Cartel. Beer Cartel certainly be able to leverage off Coles in this, what the actual background commercial arrangements are would be interesting to know uh, whether there is, yeah, how that works because if straight up Beer Cartel were selling it to Coles, Coles would be able to get it for just as cheap, if not cheaper, um, potentially through suppliers in the way that they can order. So they certainly wouldn't want Beer Cartel's margin up onto there. Or So goodness knows whatever's happening in the background there. But it is... Um, it is a rather unique and interesting one, and maybe it will lead to, once again, it's just a great exposure, not only for both of those brands, well, particularly more beer cartel than, than first choice, but potentially exposure for um, the idea of mixed packs. Now, in one of the Beer as a Conversations that Matt did a few weeks ago, 
one of the people that was interviewed from the from the US was talking about how variety packs are quite a thing over there and we haven't really seen that here in Australia. Maybe it's a bit more of a toe in the water of that. Maybe it's a safer way to people to be venturing into the beer club space um, as we were talking about last week with um, um, uh, uh, with, with Buckety. Um, how often they're going to update these packs is another thing. Is this a once-off or uh, is there going to be a different pack each each month? There'll be further, yeah, yeah I'll, uh, I feel again, I'm saying what I said last week, interested to see how this will roll and whether this is something that really does roll and really is a benefit or whether it's something that peters out pretty quickly. My other question to them uh, was, has there been any pressure for you to include tinnies um, because when I went to looking at the Coles Liquor Market website, every beer that I was researching, because I was just sort of looking at, well, it's $90 for this pack of 12, which to me seems incredibly expensive. But then if you're in the gift market, it solves a problem for you. I'll throw $90 at sending, you know, my uncle a packet of beers that's nicely packaged and, you know, you, you factor that in. I'm not going to buy that as a sampler for myself, um, for example. Um but then when you look at the – I was looking at the, the beers that they listed, and they were all mostly available on the Coles – by Coles anyway, so it wasn't anything unique. But then at the bottom of every page, you had at least one and usually two tinnies recommended. You know, if you were searching um, Hawks Lager, you would see the tinnies lager um, recommended at the bottom of the page as well. Um, which so they they're, they're using that to drive sales of their home brand stuff. So I was actually interested whether there'd been any pressure or any expectation that they would start to include tinnies in their packs. And uh, I, I didn't include this in the story because it was wasn't really relevant to the story itself. But um, he said no. But you know, perhaps potentially they will want their own branded gift boxes to developed. Beer cartel, um, you know, have been testing to see what will work for them. They closed their um, retail presence, moved to wholesale and online. Um, you know, they crowdfunded many years ago. They've been testing the market. Let's hope this works for them, for Beer Cartel, um, in the long run because I, 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 don't, I don't understand it from the description i just don't understand sort of what the commercials might be or how it works in the long term um, i can see the short-term benefit for beer cartel it, it gives it exposes them to the entire yes um, but my but question again, would be what's the why, long-term benefit yeah why would coles do that because essentially as i've said you're marketing a direct competitor you're not marketing the beer that you could get from the brewery you're marketing another retailer so you're saying yeah, oh, you really liked that one? Did you know Beer Cartel also sell the same product that we sell from their online store that we have on but our online store? But if you're capturing IP. But they're capturing sales data. So therein lies the, the big thing. Anyway, um, Matt, the next article that you reported on, rapid consumption continued focus for ABAC complaints. Yep, as, as always, uh, ABAC has brought out its quarterly report. There hasn't been too much... Um, news on beer complaints this quarter which i guess was was good and i probably could have uh, made more of in the in the article but rapid consumption was one of the areas that there were quite a few complaints and adjudications about this time and that's you know hinting at or suggesting that um the best way to drink any alcohol is quickly you know and i think we talked about last 
cheeky monkey had someone pouring, just upending two cans of beer into their mouth. And marketers need to be very, very aware of what constitutes the suggestion of rapid consumption. And the new code um, makes a lot of that clear um, to the point that one of the cases that had been determined, there was an esky that only had one can in, which is interesting because sometimes you notice these things when you look at advertising. You'll see an, an esky where they open it up and there's just one can sitting proudly on top of the ice. And I'd always thought, oh, they just really want to celebrate that you know have no distraction to, so to you can that. See the can, yeah. But increasingly, that is actually a signal that I'm not sitting here binge drinking. You know, um, it's a defence if you've only got the one can. Well, clearly they're not binge drinking because they don't have an oh. overfocus. Oh my god! I thought you were about to say legitimately the opposite, Matt. I thought you were about to say ABAC is calling it out because clearly it means they've drunk all the rest already. No, oh, no, 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 no. So that's what I, as you were talking, I in my head I was going, oh shit, they already drank the rest of the six pack, twelve pack, twenty four pack. We're in trouble no. now. Because there was there was actually one where it was just cited as a as an offhand comment by the adjudication panel. And I actually didn't read it, um, but I didn't read it fully, but it involved throwing a can of beer and there was some suggestion that it was dangerous or anything like that. Um, and it wasn't. They sort of said, look, clearly, you know, it's not problem drinking because there's only one can in the, there's only one pack bottle in the esky. Um, and, and I thought, well, that's, that's actually very interesting. And it's the subtleties of some of the, the marketing code. But then um, the, so it wasn't just, uh, then it was also the, the mood altering aspects that we talked about last week, that I actually think is a real shame. So yeah, um, and Harry Jenkins, the uh, now chair, the ABAC chair, urges marketers to move away from using these themes in their beer social media posts. Um, and also if, you, if, if, you, if a business is tagged by a um, you know, follower or a, someone that they've got to deal with, that brings it under the brewery, even though the brewery doesn't make the posts themselves. So the new ABAC code, you really need to make yourselves aware of that. It has been strengthened. Actually, it's a good reason to get along to um, BrewCon in August um, because I'm actually chairing uh, or having a onstage discussion with Michael Lavarch, who's the head adjudicator, um, that I'll be asking him a range of questions, but then there will also be the ability for brewers to ask questions from the floor directly to the chief adjudicator. So it'll be a really great um, opportunity to learn about the new code and also you know, have your questions answered. Um, actually, the, the one thing just to round off that story, um, there, there was so much discussion about barely legal um, black flags uh, beer back in May that caused, you know, fair to say, a lot of controversy. Um, there was a complaint made um, about it two way back, and it was a little bit tenuous how they found out about it, but uh, how they did it. But ultimately, they did find that the relating of it to 18 because you can't use models who are under 25 in your advertising which is a is a problem and linking it to a drinking age of 18 was problematic for the adjudication panel but then so too was accentuating the strength of the beer the 18 percent alcohol um, and it's big bold and barely legal packing a punch encouraged the choice of the product by elevating references to the product's alcohol strength and its intoxicating effect. Um, so yeah, um, as always, the, the the quarterly report is actually well worth reading if you don't read individual cases because it does give good 
summaries um, of the uh, last quarter's dis decisions. Um, so well worth uh, checking out. Um, and in other news, um, other sort of regulatory news, I suppose, um, Victoria's container deposit rates announced under their new scheme. It's a new scheme. They've announced the rates 12.54 cents for aluminium, 12.16 cents, uh, sorry, 12.54 cents for glass, 12.16 for um, aluminium. Um, Vic Return has been appointed. It's basically the same people that run a couple of the other states' ones. Um, the interesting thing. Well, the, the IBA came out and you know said you know while well, they respect the initiative, you know can we please just have one uniform code so brewers don't have to um, talk about it. Apparently, Musan Hajar talked about it at uh, the beer and barbecue fest. There was a panel talking about that last week, um, and particularly in South Australia where the rates are ridiculously high compared to other states um, to to register. Um, which is problematic. Um, it was interesting that when, when when you see this, my mind first runs to what is the ill that this is curing? And because we have very successful, I understand, recycling, curbside recycling schemes in most capital cities, and it seems like an additional burden to do this. And so my first question is, are we collecting as a result of the container deposit scheme more glass and aluminium containers than we were under the old recycling scheme? And if not, where is the benefit um, to for this cost? So Matt, my, the way that I posed that question in my mind, um, of course, bearing in mind that I um, got deep in the weeds on this in 2019, I think when it was being proposed or 2020 when it was being proposed in New Zealand. Um, so it's been a couple of years since I've, I've spent, but my question wouldn't be, are we collecting more? My question would be, are we solving the recycling question more? Um, because the structure of the scheme, the complaints made, particularly in New Zealand, and I understand that the system, the, the situation is the same in Australia, and this is the point that many uh, folks who advocated and responded to to each of the schemes is that actually you're creating a scheme to address a problem that doesn't exist in the main, which is that we have great strong curbside recycling in most areas. Um, yes, that can be improved in some local government areas, but in the main we have sort of 89% curbside recycling. What we don't have is end-of-life recycling for most of the products that are already being collected. So what has happened is instead of government investing dollars into solving the problem around end-of-life recycling, they have pushed the burden of increased collection so raising from 89% to, and I'm I'm pulling that figure because it's the one I can remember, advocates are going to say it's not that across the country and so on and so forth, but let's pick that. It, it's raising it from a, a high level to close to perfection on collection. And I said, well, that's great, um, fabulous, but if we're talking about environmental impact, yep, we've we've got an increase in environmental impact, but then we offshore all of our recycling. So we still got all the carbon footprint. We've still it's got not all a circular economy, and it essentially, a, and, and I've had some interesting conversations about it, and you're spot on. And 
every conversation that I have about sustainability, you, know, you get media releases talking about glass and can manufacturers talking about you know how sustainable their product is, particularly aluminium that it's you know infinitely recyclable, you know blah 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 blah, and yet we don't recycle them in Australia. Um, even if they use aluminium here. So the can manufacturers who trumpet recyclability say, well, it's not our responsibility. We're not the aluminium smelters. They're the people whose responsibility it, it is. The aluminium, you know, no one's forcing them to be able to process it onshore as almost a license to operate in Australia in the first place. Um, and unfortunately, it's the poor brewers yep. who are the ones that are being slugged. When I actually think it's the manufacturers, um, the, the, the first up manufacturers of the product should be the ones paying it with pun- because they have the greatest ability to drive their supplies of aluminium to change. Brewers can't even change the... Well, well, this is what I was going to say, Matt, which is what happens in this circumstance. So I've already made the argument that I think um, CDS schemes were an easy um, gimme to people who wanted a visible, um, achievable change in the recycling stream. And I'm not suggesting it's... So, so, so that has occurred and we're in a state where we have it. Um, but as you've already noted, as the IBA have noted, each state has its own registration costs, different registration processes. Um, the same product needs to be registered in each state. The labelling might be slightly different in each state, which is why, of course, we've pushed for single, same um, 10 cent values across. Um, but then, uh, and we'll come back to is the scheme working and is it saving any money? But Small brewers in particular, and I'll leave out the large guys who who advocate well for themselves, have no choice but to pay the aluminium and glass manufacturers the price that they set because there are so few of those in Australia. So you have, let's call it 600 small manufacturers trying to bargain with one to two large large suppliers of bottles and cans who don't give a shit that 12 cents per can is being added onto the cost that breweries actually need to charge to the customer. So again, in the supply chain, you've got the small producers sitting in the middle being squeezed from the consumer side, this is what we're willing to pay, and the manufacturer side who's basically say, well, we're just going to tell you what the price is with no responsibility to participate in end of life or no ability to be bargained with on price. And so, you know, it's similar to the situation that we have with retailers where our brewers have no choice but to select from these these, um, very few container providers. But those container providers are not on the hook under this scheme. And so I'm just not sure that it's achieving, A, what the ultimate government goals would be for the scheme, but B... um, our small manufacturers are definitely getting screwed in the middle. Definitely yep. getting screwed in the middle. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, you, Ian's had a few uh, connectivity issues if, he, if he's been a bit quiet, but uh, jump in. Okay, yeah, this is one that I see is a little bit along the lines of what we talked about last week of covering your ass, uh, where schemes like this to me feel as though it's more about the optics, more about the visuals of it than actually what it achieves on the ground. I would be interested, as Sabrina points out, 
in knowing what change we've seen in recycling because it, if, if it is upwards well yeah we've got to look at it and then see how it can all be done better but um it to me feels as though it's it's a band-aid solution we need to go back to the source and do something better to make sure we're recycling and um if if i might be wrong on this but i believe the original south australian scheme was more about an anti-littering scheme rather than a recycling scheme uh which is why if we have it in there we need mcdonald's cups in there we need everything in in there all forms of 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 packaging um need need to be in it um and unfortunately it's one that the consumer it's hard to convey to the consumer and the consumer in some ways rightly doesn't care that it doesn't cost us the manufacturer the 10 cents that they're getting back it's not quite as as simple as that then there's all the questions of the dollars that um are raised through it that aren't back to the consumers which is the profit margin for those running um the the show and something like this surely shouldn't be a a profit center there, and, and that's the point. So, Ian, I think you made two great points there, which is all of the literature that started the argument for container deposit schemes was, um, when presented to government by various agencies, was anti-littering. So very much a focus on getting things off the beach, off the street, off et cetera. So, so that's one point. The second point there is, so in this scheme, when they're setting the pricing at 12 point or 12.5 cents it's the 2.5 cents per container that goes back to the scheme to um to fund the scheme itself running now in none of the annual reports that we've seen for the schemes that have been running have they been able to say how the scheme itself has increased overall recycling so over and above what's what's curbside but the scheme will never make enough money to support itself and will have to put to continue to collect 2.5 cents instead of one cent or whatever it is, if not enough people are putting their cans and bottles into the scheme. People don't put their cans and bottles into the scheme because they put them in curbside recycling. So unless the unless we're changing behaviour and saying, hey, Fred and Sue, who are working two jobs in this economic environment, you now need to spend, put low collect all your bottles, put them in your car, spend more on petrol to drive down to the container refund scheme and get your 10 cents back per container. The vast majority of people in many urban settings, and I want to couch that it's not the case across all um, local governments, in all urban settings where the population centres are, the vast majority of people are putting their products into curbside recycling, which means that the money, those that 2.5 cents, those 10 cents are never going back to, um, that the, they're never going back into the scheme to be paid out to community groups or whatever. There's no measure of increase in total recycling over and above curbside. And none of the annual reports can actually say we've collected more than we've collected previously and that that is not a shift in behaviour or that is not a shift in X, Y and Z. So for long-term sustainability, surely the city councils and these scheme providers have got to get together and say, well, what people put into their curbside recycling goes in. Otherwise, it's the manufacturer who is never going to be able to see less contribution than 2.5% for a scheme that was set up in a in a way that was never going to work. So I, I just... It's just one of those things that says, yeah, I realise we're sort of a year in on most of these schemes. But when you look at the reporting out on that piece that Matt first framed to the question and then I sort of follow it up on, 
actual impact, not community sort of fundraising, but on actual impact to closed loop recycling, has it made a difference? There's no data. When you need to update your labels in in South Australia to add your uh, CDS scheme information on it, do you know who you could call? Can you think of anyone? I do know who you could call. That would be our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. And they'll be at Brucon. Uh, Not trying to turn this into an ad for Brucon or anything, but they will be at Brucon. And you can talk to them about such things as packaging and recyclability. As you know, they can supply can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans, supplied food to you ready to fill, cartons either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters and four-pack barcodes and much, much more. They are your one-stop shop for all your brewing, labelling and packaging needs. Give Paul and Brad and the team a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss your options. You can email them at sales at rallingsprint.com.au or you can see them at their stand at Brucon where they'll be uh, no doubt wanting to have beers with you all. And, uh, we do thank uh, them for all of their help. Matt, in other news, um, my couple, I just want to kick off. Um, you obviously had a great chat this week with Kelsey Picard from um, Science is Beerable. Oh, Science Made Beerable. Science um, made, yeah, Beerable Science and the event is Science Made Beerable. Yeah, it's a bunch of scientists delving into the science behind beer, which uh, it, I, I get excited about. Um, you know, anyone who's out there communicating anything other than the latest bubblegum flavoured beer um, is all right in my books. Yeah, and they've done a great job of garnering a lot of um, support. So it's part, it's an event as part of Science Week. Um, I'd reached out um, to Kelsey's co-founder who'd helped us with, you know, spreading the word around our inspired report and and brewing industry academic research. Uh, But this was a great chat with Kelsey on her background, what her what got her into it, but they've garnered great support from uh, various government levels, uh, various sort of industry folks. A bit of a name check, but, you know, HPA, Voyager Craft Malt, Bluestone Yeast, um, you know, three of our great supporters who support us are also supporting this. And congratulations. And, and Convoy Kegs, I should also say, who's another great um you know, help to us. It's okay. I'm just sitting here laughing because Ian's wearing his convoy shirt as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and and it's no surprise that the people who help us um, are also out there helping, you know, industry through uh, indirect ways. And it's it's really exciting um, that they are doing that. And I I guess the the other one that I should um, thank or recognise is um, the National, uh, I think it's National Science Week, um, who is, yeah, Science Made Beerable. Uh, yeah, um, National Science Week is another um, supporter and sponsor. So, uh, But the reason I thought this was such a great chat, Matt, is um, so we received in the media release for them and I just want to flag sort of the four things when I saw this media release. A, it made sense. B, I knew what they were talking about. They provided their images in six different formats. They provided their media release in a PDF and in a Word. They provided all of the information you could possibly need to go gee, A, this looks like a really well put together event. B, I've got all of the information I need to reach out and actually do something with this. So from a media perspective, I thought this was so well done. 
particularly for, as Kelsey points out, just a very small team of volunteers of two scientists who have full-time jobs, including doing their PA, who are doing their PhDs. So shout out to um, the team. And I think it, it's another lovely way when we think about the Australian Cicerone community, I think about Pint of Science, which is a little bit different. I think about Science Made Beerable, all different ways of positioning beer that are to different groups of people, perhaps, um, so reaching outside of the bubble and doing it in, a, in a, um, a sophisticated sort of way that says, yeah, we're this, we're really, um, we're a product. There's a lot that goes into us. We're not just smashable can. So love all the things about it. And it was a good chat. It was. She. I'll tell you what. For for somebody that doesn't profess to be a science communicator. Um, she did such a great job, like just really, really concise and clear and talking whilst also conveying passion and enthusiasm and interest. It was great. Um, so the other one that we released this week was BrewCon Replay, the next in our series, um, promoting the type of content you can see at BrewCon. Crowd Goes Wild. This was a chat that was really talking to breweries about how they can use some of the information that's come out about uh, fan engagement for sporting teams. Um, and if you take a look at who the... Um, Two or three football clubs have got their mat their marketing comms people. It's a really good conversation, panel conversation from 2018, but still relevant today, particularly at a time when more small breweries exist and are looking to really engage their local community. So shout out to that one. And um, if you haven't already, just a quick couple of other BrewCon items. Peer nominations close today. So maybe by the time you listen to it, you could squeak in under the wire if you haven't got your nomination in. Um, and otherwise tickets are on sale and um, we look forward to seeing you there. So that's that one. That's Matt, that any- one. Um, then we've got uh, retail drinks. This was an announcement. Well, it was a, sort of a new sort of an announcement um, this week. Retail drinks, which is the body that represents online, you know, on bottle shops and online um, release its research. Uh very much in response to a lot of the demonization that's been going on. Um, and, you know, partly fairly. I need, need to say, uh, of course, the Retail Drinks Association is going to defend itself. But the funny thing is, retail drinks getting research to defend itself, the conflicts are transparent. When you've got, um, you know, when I was researching uh, about online and, and stuff that's going on, you've got the Australian um, Institute of Medicine or you know, Australian Health and Welfare Council or whoever you're quoting as fact data created by FAIR that is to some extent anecdotal about the size of the online marketplace and highly skewed and highly biased. And yet, because it comes from something called the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, it's not subject to the same scrutiny that the exact same but opposite data from, you know, the, the drinks lobby have. So, And I should say, Matt, so I read it and I went, yeah, yeah, self-serving data. But on the flip side, one of the things that we're constantly um, saying, um, and somebody already made the joke that we should use squishy data in a bingo card, but um, one of the things that we're already saying on da- on the data front is that the retailers have the best data on sales, that they, they have great tracking because it's all point of sales data and customer information. So if this is based on... Uh, retail drinks as members providing accurate sort of data in 
um, then actually it should be some of the best data that is available um, on, on actual online sales. So um, for, for those who haven't read it, the one that I thought was really um, the one that the, the piece of data that jumped out at me that they'd pulled out was most online customers purchasing alcohol for delivery are aged 35 years and over and that ready to drink spirits account for the smallest share of total delivered online sales whether same day or non-day so they're basically again um continuing what the data is trying to show is that young people are not over indexing on um like rtds and they're not over indexing on same day delivery um and there was another data point there around um same day delivery customers are concentrated in high income inner city areas and primarily in the state capitals postcodes with a higher share of 16 to 17 year olds do not have higher online sales so again all trying to prevent this hypothesis that young people are just sitting at home and are getting jimmy brings for two hours later for 12 rtds Adelaide Beer Awards were last Friday night. It wasn't there, but it sounded like it was a great, uh, a great event. A lot of, a uh, lot of people that we uh, have on the podcast were judging, which was good to see. We should probably give a massive shout out to Barossa Valley Brewing Co, who took out a whole suite of awards, um, and you'll see them at BrewCon. They're speaking on a panel around um, AI. So, shout out to the team at Barossa Valley that panel there as well. You're chairing that one as well. Great. The other one we should give a shout out to is uh, the winner of Best New Exhibitor, which was Better Beer, Zero Carb and Zero Sugar. So shout out to Better Beer for Best New Exhibitor in South Australia. Zero Carb, Zero Sugar, that sounds like the sort of beer that (laughs) I want to be drinking. Guys, we're going to run a, we've just got a couple of other things. Um, there There was a bit of discussion last week and I included a bit of a wrap up about the Anchor Brewing coverage last week. Um, still a lot more to coming out about that. Great story that I shared in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. For all of you that are joining us, and we keep forgetting to say what the uh, password is, it's Soapbox. You can jump on your Soapbox and join us um, in the Radio Brews News group, uh, Facebook group. We've had a lot of people joining us. Um, but I shared a great article from the Crafty Pint um, about uh, Brookvale, um, questioning whether it's brewing a, a beer paradise. Looking at that whole vexed issue of whether having a high concentration of breweries in a small area is creating a precinct that brings more that is bigger than the sum of the parts or they reach a point where they're cannibalizing each other um, and if they're in the wrong places it can bring all of the breweries um, under strain um, and I thought that was again it was what I would consider an unusual sort of story um, the, the crafty point that often writes for consumers and really celebrates um, all of the exciting positive things about beer it was uh, nice to see you know just to have, have a think about this one um, article from them and, and I thought it was great I just chucked in an, an additional one that was written by one um, someone who's been in the beer industry for a very long time but it was it was talking about why you'll get um, better food, service and entertainment at your favourite brewery. So I think this came again from Wade Curtis, one of our regular posters. Um, but I think the two of them go together because if you look at that, there was a really great chat in the group between James Atkinson and Steve Brockman, again, talking about this sort of 
the impact of brew pubs. And so, you know, brew pubs and venues really make up these craft beer precincts. But then it was this conversation around, you know, brew pubs, James Atkinson made this point, brew pubs have been heralded as the saviour for a lot of small breweries and how they can be activated. And Steve Brockman was making the the point that in the winter months um, and with hardening economic times, midweek is such a challenge um getting the venues filled or people in the midweek is so difficult and and matt's your chat last week with bucketies was talking about that's why they offered their pint to their their membership on a wednesday um and, and so i think just this conversation around i mean we started the top of the show was with people are finding their way forward in this new economic environment and i think um this really interesting discussion around brew pubs, how to work together, all of that is really fundamental to things might be shifting and, and, and what is the way forward. And I just think there's some really interesting stuff going on here at the moment. Yeah, I haven't read that article yet, but I'm, I'm having, I looked at the headline and thought that's one I've got to delve into a little bit deeper and have a, have a good read of. Um, and Matt, I'm conscious you've got to go, but just um, we've just had an update right three minutes ago from Stuart went in the Radio Brews News Group saying, I was just checking out Birchall website. I just responded to it. It just uh, shows how oh, much attention we're paying. And Multitasking it me that, we are. And it struck me that some of the companies must be due reporting yearly or half yearly results. would be fascinating to see how they're tracking against the prospect forecast. Interesting you say that, Stuart, because only earlier today, um, Matt and I were taking a look at who raised, when they raised, what they raised and what their valuations were in with the view that, um, yes, they're reporting, their annual reporting, they should be getting those numbers together and filing in the next few they're months. They're required three months from the end of the financial year. That's so right. that's October. So um, we should we be... We should start to see those and we will be reporting on the ones that are posted, but then also noting the ones that, uh, well, let's call it in, in breach of their obligations under the crowdfunding uh, um, regulation. And I should say, I, I took a quick look and just in New Zealand, in Australia, I think there were eight to nine that crowdfunded in um, 2022 calendar year. So, um, so some of those will have reported so a set of financials um, like Matt reported on Black Ops, but there's a, a few more that aren't there. And then there's another nine, eight to nine that crowdfunded in the second half of 2022 calendar year, which will make this their first filing um, post-raise. So, yep, we were just taking a look at that this morning, um, given all the timing. So, Stuart, we'll come back to you. And uh, just the last uh, item of business is thanks to Bluestone Yeast, uh, who were also uh, sponsors of Science Made Beerable. They can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 85183172 and talk all things yeast, something he does very well and another person who does it with a great passion. And this week, all I'm going to say is the brewery of the week is Ochko. Uh, and I specifically threw to um, Kelsey um, in the Beer as a Conversation podcast because I knew that the three of us based in Queensland, none of us had travelled, didn't want to keep it too uh, Brisbane-centric, so I asked her for her re recommendation. And you'll have to go and listen to that episode. It's towards the end, but listen to the whole thing, uh, because she will uh, 
tell you why Ochco is her go-to brewery for their seasonal beers. And uh, is it so we Ochco congratulate Ochco or Ocho. Ocho. I think it's Ocho. Sorry, uh, brewing. But uh, I'll, I'll let Kelsey very eloquently say why it's her. Um, I put her on the spot. She didn't want to nominate one, but she did, and she did a great job. So that is our brewery of the week. Um, and that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, joined by Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by our wonderful producer, Joe Helder. We thank Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. Looking forward to seeing you both next week, hopefully under a slightly less time pressure. Cool. Not long now for uh, the, the festivities to kick off in Queensland. Looking forward to it. That'd be Belgian Beer Week festivities. <laughs> <laughs>